Welcome to the Jeff Knows Inc. Entrepreneurial Podcast with your host, Jeff Lopes. Jeff has over two decades' experience as a serial entrepreneur, building brands like KimuraWare from his home basement to a multi-million dollar global brand that has sold over a quarter million pairs of boxing gloves. Jeff's here to educate, guide, and drive you on the process of bringing your ideas and dreams to reality with the inspiring stories from some of the top business minds. Welcome to episode 155 of the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. Super excited to have on today the founder of Steiner Sports, Brendan Steiner. Great conversation, great story. Sit back, everyone, and enjoy. We are live. We are live on the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. Super excited to have on today, Brendan Steiner. What is up, brother? How you doing? And uh, well, first, thanks for having me. And I know you're a big collector and a big fan. And I always start off with gratitude and, you know, thank you for the support. I never take any relationship or customer for granted, especially in this day and age. You know, it's not easy. So no, thank no. you. I, I, I... I think so. I'm all right. <laughs> let's let's start that again. All right. That's right. We are live. We are live on the Jeff Nozine podcast. I'm super excited to have on today, Brendan Steiner. What is up, brother? Hey, hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You know, just appreciate you. I know you're a big collector. And uh, look, you know, I've had a great run and I never take any of my, uh, you know, the potential customers or customers or fans of what we're doing for granted. Because, you know, this day and age, you know, it's hard to build up an audience, it's hard to build a fan base. And especially I started a new company two years ago. Like, it's not easy, you know, yeah. starting over and, and, and you see who your friends are and you realize all that loyalty and love you give to your customers which I think sometimes people forget in this day and age. Like, yeah, you got to love your customers. Don't just expect that they're going to come. You got to yeah. love them and you got to love them and you got to love them and love them. Uh, you know, having a customer buy stuff from you is, is a privilege and you should not take it for granted. I love that. Just saying. Well, let's start off. We'll get into your story of how you got into sports, maybe Billy, <clears throat> your love for sports. Let's start off by where'd you grow up? How many siblings you have? Give me a little rundown of Brendan Give me, as a child. Well, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, you know, 539 Kings Highway uh, over at Glock Kosher Butcher, um, two brothers, single parent, um, you know, $60 a month rent. You know, we had trouble making that rent. You know, we had heat in the summer. We had air conditioning in the winter. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't pretty, you know. And, and when you live over a butcher, I lived over at Glock Kosher Butcher. And then Glock Kosher Butcher, for those who don't know, is that's where they kill the chickens in the shop. So right underneath my window every morning, my alarm clock would be chickens getting their heads cut off. It wasn't a very comfortable uh, environment to grow up in, but it was a good neighborhood. My mother believed that we should live in a good neighborhood, even though our circumstances sucked. And and even though we were the poorest people in the neighborhood, (laughs) which is definitely humbling, but you don't want to be you know, I'd rather be the poorest person in a rich neighborhood than the richest person in a poor neighborhood. I, I think, it's, you know, you're just a complete underdog. There's nowhere to go but up yeah. is how I looked at it. And I saw a lot of people with wealth and a lot of people that had a lot of things. But, you know, they may have been their circumstances may have been rich. But personally, I didn't see the wealth. And I always thought that, you know, my circumstances were poor, but I always had the ability to do whatever I wanted to do. And uh, my mother confirmed that on a regular basis. Like, you can have any of this stuff. 
that's the easy part, you know, knowing what you want once you get it and wanting it once you get it is important. So for me, um, you know, I work since I'm 10 years old, um, which is very rare. You know, I have kids and everything and, um, I have three kids that are pretty much all grown up, but you know, at 10 years old, they weren't getting up, going to work at 10. Trust me. They're yeah. tough getting them up, let alone <laughs> getting them a breakfast and getting them dressed. So I was an unusual kid, very entrepreneur, uh, right from the start. Um, there was nobody who hustled more than me in my neighborhood, worked more than me, worked harder than me. I still feel that way now, frankly. <laughs> I know. I, I, I had this discussion with, I mean, this is the million dollar question. I had this discussion all the time with other entrepreneurs is, are onto are you born an entrepreneur or can you teach somebody to be an entrepreneur? And I'm a strong believer you can teach somebody the skills, you teach them the lessons, you can give them the tools. You can't teach the hustle. The hustle has to be born in you. So I'm I love Well, I, I don't I don't know. I don't even know about that. I I, I don't know about that. I, I think that we all can be taught entrepreneurism skills. That I agree, but I think the circumstances is what is and you have to you create those circumstances in your own head. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, entrepreneurism is, is something desperately needed in this country uh, and this world. We need it uh, desperately. And, and if you want to be more entrepreneur, if you want to be more entrepreneurialistic, you just need to have more empathy and more compassion. So if you want somebody to have more entrepreneurial skills, push them to be more compassionate, have more empathy. And the definition of empathy is to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. When you put yourself in someone else's shoes, a common person's shoes, that's where your common sense rises. If you can increase your common sense by increasing your empathy about getting in someone else's shoes, that's how you can rise and raise someone's level of entrepreneurship. Because the high level, I would say common sense isn't always common practice, but common sense must di always dictate. And when you can get into a high level of compassion and empathy by putting yourself in other people's shoes is only if and then you see the white space. Yeah. So, yes, you can teach people to be more entrepreneurial, but you can also get people to be more entrepreneurial by getting to be more, have more empathy, having more compassion. Because the more they can put themselves in other people's shoes, feel what other people are feeling, think what other people are thinking. That's what spurs on entrepreneurship, and you can then see what other people need. The problem and the reason why people are more entrepreneurial, not because they don't have a born, born again in them, is they just can't get out of their own freaking head. They're so self-consumed with what they need, what they want, as opposed to getting consumed about serving and looking at what other people need. My mother was always relentless on me to be a solution-based business person. So even at 10 years old, thinking about what other people in the neighborhood needed help with, not poor, woe is me, I got no money, I got no clothes, but what other people need, that'll lead you to finding out what services or what problems you can solve, and that'll lead you to helping you figure out how to make money and make a difference in the industry or a difference in the job. Yeah. Stop thinking about what you deserve and start thinking about what the world presents. In order to figure out what the world presents versus what you need or what you think you should be getting, you got to get out of your head. And that. that's how you can increase your level of entrepreneurship. Very simply, increase your common freaking sense. And when you ask my kids, like, is your dad smart? He's not that smart, but he's got an incredible high level of common sense. Exactly. I have the ability of getting out of my head, not thinking so much about myself and just thinking about externally about other people's emotions, other people's thoughts, what people in droves or singularly are thinking about these days. 
And then I find that space and I attack it because I know that's what people want. I love it. I love it. Where was your first interaction with sports? Where did the love for sports begin? I mean, you know, we grew up with sports, you know, I never, we didn't know about sports business, but you know, we played sports 24 seven. It was my, it was my office, you know, sports was my crutch. It was, it was my, it was my escape. You know, you live in a cockroach infested, really small apartment. You got to do something to, you know, to take you away from that and, you know, going to the schoolyard and playing sports 24 seven. Uh, gave me a place to go as opposed to being home. Did you ever play competitively or have any uh, inkling to to make it a profession at, at a young age? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, but you know, my talent level. Now that's another thing. You'd be born in that game, or can you be taught? But you know, my mother went to one game of mine in my entire childhood, and I was a relentless. What, 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 what was your sport? Basketball. B- basketball. Still at it. Played, huh? played, yeah, played some football, but played basketball. I completely thought I was going to go to the NBA. 100%. And my mother went to one game of mine, one football and one basketball game in my entire life. And I played a lot of Little League and I played the JCC. Yeah. You know, in Brooklyn, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. Like, you know, you got to be like six foot eight to even, you know, just to, 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 just to get on a team. Yeah. So my mother goes to the game, talks to the coach. After the game, she drives home and says, listen, I don't want to, you know, I just want to break the news to you. Like, I don't know any other five foot six, five foot seven white. <laughs> Jewish kid that's in the NBA. Can you find one? Because if you can find one, then I believe maybe you go to the NBA. But I can be honest with you, like, and, you know, I, I think you could do anything you set your heart to, but I don't think you go to the NBA. And that was really hard to hear that. I mean, I was playing five, six hours a day. Um, and, you know, I realize now that, you know, I, I had a high level of media, mediocre talent. I'm a rec player at best. I mean, I couldn't even make a varsity team. But that was when my mother told me, she's like, I'm not sending you to a regular high school. I'm sending you to this new high school that opened up in Coney Island. It's a non-competition, pass-fail high school you have to apply to get into. There are no teams. Because I know you. You'll be like, you know, like a Rudy. Yeah, yeah, you will yeah. do everything you can to be the last guy somehow on one of those teams and it's not going to take you anywhere and you need to actually start getting into education and that was great advice from my mom because i'm not i have some learning disabilities uh growing up and i didn't read and write well at all to say the least and to get into education at that particular point in my my life and the importance of learning even though i didn't like school i needed school and it really gave me the essence of learning and where learning can take you. Yeah. And I'm still at 62, an incredible learner. I love that. Not a great student, but a great learner and always have a high level of curiosity. And I really credit John Dewey High School for that. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. I love it. I love it. So what, what, how did, okay. What, what's your first dip into being an entrepreneur? Like I started when I was 17. When did, when did you, what age did you actually start a company or start that venture as, as a quote unquote entrepreneur, like starting your own uh, business? 
I went to see my mom. Uh, and I told her I needed a career change. You know, I'd been through a few different jobs at this point. And what, how old were you? I was 12. And my mother's like, yeah, 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 yeah. She's, you know, she's like, you're 12. Are you kidding me? You got to be kidding me. And so I was like, you know, I said, I'm working every day after school. I'm working every Saturday. Like some, something's got to break here. And I was like, tilt it up a bit. Yeah. Okay. There. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my thing. That's going to help us. Um, so I'm 12 years old and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. There you go. Perfect. So I'm 12 years old. I'm trying to figure it out. And, uh, my mother says, go to the corner of Avenue X and East third street. There's a newspaper route store. You go there, you apply for a route and they'll give you a route. You can deliver newspapers. You could work in the morning. You collect the money on Thursday nights. You wake up really early and you can be free every day after school. You're free during the weekends. It's great. I go to the paper route store. I see a sign in the window that's going to change my life. Whoever opens up the most accounts, if you open up the most accounts this week, you win a box of candy bars. I told people, I saw the light in an early age and I told you I had air conditioning in the, in the winter and heat in the summer. Winning a box of candy bars. I saw the light in an early age. Unfortunately, it was the refrigerator light because it was empty. I was starving. Bringing home a box of candy bars would been a home run. So I started trying to open up, you know, accounts. I'm knocking on doors. Now in Brooklyn, they have these big buildings. And I finally stumbled upon this older woman, well in her seventies. I said, ma'am, I, I got, nothing's happening, but I finally get to this woman. I see a stack of newspapers right inside her door. She says, no, I don't want to get the paper delivered. I said, it's the same price as eight cents from me, eight cents from the corner store. She says, yeah, but then I got to tip you. I go home and I tell my mom, we got to move. This neighborhood sucks. Uh, on the people are cheap, you know, the excuses. And my mother says, sit down. I'm going to tell you this once. I'm going to tell you this once only. You got to stop selling. I said, mom, I've been all over the place trying to open up accounts. Nothing. So stop selling. Start serving. Solve a problem. Be a solution-based business person. Try to find how you can help somebody. You can't sell the same thing that everyone else is selling. Expect people to buy it. You got to differentiate yourself. Okay. I go back out. I'm knocking on doors. I'm not going to lie. I mean, zero, nothing. Yeah, yeah. I go back to this woman at about 10 at night. The lady is going crazy. Like, you're knocking on my door at 10 at night. Are you crazy? I said, man, I just need a minute. So I told you, I don't want to get the paper delivered. Just one minute. I said, if there's torrential downpour, snowstorm, heat wave, ice on the ground, a woman such yourself should not have to be going out getting the paper, let alone some of the other essential stuff that you need. If I bring you milk and bagels every Wednesday and Sunday, the newspaper every morning, regardless of the weather, I'll be there by 7.30. Would you get the paper delivered? She says, you would do that for me? So I was concerned. She not only got the paper delivered, but she was the, the mayor, the neighbor. She turned me on to everyone. I went from 29 dailies to 235 and 199 Sundays. I won two boxes of candy bars. And how that story really comes around, I hope it relates to the people are listening, is that, first of all, you really listen to new customers. And again, what really is amazing, when I think back to my beginning of my, my business career, and was at that moment, of the high level of empathy and the high level of compassion, that as a 12-year-old, I was able to get into a, a, an elderly, in her 70s woman's head, to think about something that she would need, what it would be like to be her, and yeah. what service I could provide her. 
And I give myself a lot of credit for that. Not only the hustle and, and delivering 200 papers a day, which is unbelievable too, and I had, I had a lot of swagger, but the fact that I was able to get into people in the neighborhood's head and I'm delivering more bagels, milk, and everything else. So when I say to you about, you know, if you want to improve your entrepreneurial skills, improve your compassion, increase your empathy, get out of your head. And it's what I've been doing ever since for the last 50 years, literally, is not worrying about what I can get, but what I can give. You know, when I meet a Derek Jeter or when I met up with the Yankees, I wasn't thinking, which is what most people think, what can I get out of this? It's unbelievable. I, you know, all these things that these could do for me. I was thinking about even the Yankees, what I can do for them. And they didn't need me. I mean, they're the Yankees, they're the biggest brand, but what can I do to help them? And it was that that led us to Yankee Steiner at the time. Yeah. And it was that that led to a 20-year relationship with Jeter. So, you know, I start my new company, Collectible Exchange. Now, it's the same thing. Like, what do athletes need? And they wanted a platform. So I built a platform for over 80 athletes on my new exchange. You have all these older people that have been collecting for years. So my Collectible Exchange is a marketplace. Again, get out of your head. All these people are sitting with hundreds of items. I built a marketplace for them to put this stuff up that gives you more guidance, gives you more advice, gives you the ability to get things authenticated. All the stuff that eBay doesn't do, I do. And that's by turning up my compassion, turning up my empathy, putting myself in other people's shoes, and then coming up with a solution that serves people and makes sense. I'm sorry, like, you don't have to be born with that. It's like, get out of your freaking head and start getting into some other people's heads and other people's emotions, and you'd be surprised what you come up with. When did you when did you start Steiner Sports? In 1987. How old were you? I was um I think 29 or 30. Yeah, in 1988. 1987-88 I was like 30, about 30, 30, yeah, 30. Who was your first athlete signing? Like well, before that I worked with Walt Frazier, you know, the Nick Guard, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh Clyde, and and I had done a bunch of stuff. I would open up a bunch of sports bars before sports bars became sports bars. Well, I'd open did. up one of the first. So that yeah. was kind of the big like, wow, I think I can market athletes because I was running Clyde all over the place and people kept calling me, like, Can you get this? Can you get me that? Yeah. And um, so the first real athlete that I worked with probably was Otis Anderson in the early nineties. I'd signed him up after his Subo MVP run. And Phil Rizzuto in 94, he, has, yeah. he got into the Hall of Fame after a long run. Yeah. He was 77 when I got him. But that was a big coming out party for me there. Uh, Mark Messier was the first player on the memorabilia end where I signed him up right after he won the cup. He was a big name already, a uh, huge name in New York. And, and, and he took a liking to me. And he was the first guy that I signed. And obviously, you know, the, the Yankee run in, in the mid-90s really propelled and pushed the collectible company to a level that I hadn't even seen, you know, I just, just didn't see it even coming. No, you guys became the leader in the industry with, without even hesitation, which was incredible. Of all the athletes, do you have one or two good stories of like Jeter or, or Messi or some stuff just to, to ring by? I mean, so many, um, and, you know, and there's only one reason, you know, when you are around an extraordinary uh, person, let alone an athlete, I think there's only one reason that you should focus in on is trying to find out the secret to the sauce. I yeah. think, you know, when you come upon the best waiter, uh, the, 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 the person who cleans, the person who sweeps the streets, the best doctor, lawyer, like, you know, man, that, those, those are far and few between. You got to. So one of the things, I mean, I love meeting these athletes, but I got over it really quick. 
And I started realizing that I needed to be a collector of that secret sauces that made them what they are today. Because a lot of people think like great athletes, well, they're just born with it. And some are, there are some exceptions, but most of them, there's a lot of ways it could go. There are a lot of athletes that the line between it, somebody making it and not making it and let alone being great. You know, you get your Jordan, you get your Will Chamberlain, let's say, but, but most the, the the bulk of your athletes that you meet are very, very, I mean, a thin line between yeah. the difference. So like I was in Tampa, this is actually a really pivotal story. And I didn't see it coming. I'm in Tampa. I'm in the stands. I'm watching an exhibition game. I'm meeting Mariano there afterwards. And uh, about the sixth inning, all of a sudden Mariano comes to sit next to me. I'm not going to lie. It was cool. I mean, I'm sitting there and watching yeah. Yankee with Mariano. This is a little early on in his career. And I said, well, I was supposed to meet you after the game. And I thought you were going to pitch at the end of the game. He goes, no, I asked Joe to put me in the middle of the game. I said, yeah, it's this next exhibition game. No big deal. He goes, no big deal. I, I, I get those guys out. One, two, three, eight pitches. I said, yeah, but it's an exhibition game. He goes, Brandon, there's no such thing as a big game. I go on the mound in spring training the same way I go on the mound in a World Series game seven. In the middle of the season, early in the season, doesn't matter the score. I go on, everything's on the line. I pitched that inning the same way I would have pitched in the World Series Game 7. The problem with people is, is that they start differentiating what a big game is and what a big game isn't. When I get into a Game 7 situation, I don't have to alter anything because everything is in place for me to be the best I could be. I don't have to upgrade my thinking, my mechanics. Everything's exactly the same. And I put the same pressure. You have to put pressure on yourself all the time. So when different circumstances occur, you don't have to alter your thinking. And I thought it was one of the great lessons I learned from Mariano because how many times do you see people that say, oh, I got a big meeting. Oh, it's a big day. What are you saying about all the other meetings? What are you saying about all the other days? Every day should be a big day. Yeah, and I, I think that. that it's really important that there's no such thing as a big game. One of the valuable lessons I learned from, I mean, so, so many stories, but that I learned from Jeter was his preparation. You know, he was a big preparation guy. I'd never like to be surprised on any level. Yeah. If we said we're going to sign for 30 minutes with 200 items, he didn't want you to come in with 250. And it was just his way of thinking. I want to be prepared for anything and everything that I'm about to deal with. Yeah. He says, Brandon, when there's a man on first and I'm at shortstop, in between every pitch, up to like 2,000 things could happen. I'm thinking of it now. I've been playing shortstop for so long. I'm thinking of every combination, every possible thing can happen between the speed of the runner, the way the pitcher's pitching, where he's pitching, the guy that's on first, how fast he is. I'm thinking of all the possibilities. It gets hit the right field, center field, ground ball here, ground ball there. I'm thinking of every remote possibility that's going on in my head so that when it happens, I'm prepared. Yeah. And this way, it's no big, no big deal. And I always say that if you have confidence, there's no such thing as stress. It really is very, very overrated. Because if you have confidence in your ability, yeah. and you have confidence in your strategy and faith in God, there is no reason for you to be up, you know, up, you know, out, out of whack. You're prepared. You have faith in a higher power, you have faith in your ability, and you have faith in your strategy, which is your preparation for what's about to happen. There's only two things you should be worrying about. And people worry about a million things. There's only two things. There's what just happened and dealing with it, or there's what's about to happen. 
That's yeah. a, that's all you worry about. Yeah. Anything else, go to a bar and get a drink or get a bong and smoke a joint, whatever. <laughs> it's just a waste of time. Worry about what just happened and deal with it or worry about what's about to happen. And that's the only two things you should worry about. And I, one of the things I learned from Derek is like, get prepared, man. Think about all the possibilities and prepare for it. So when it happens, it's no biggie. Yeah. You're ready. He was, he was, he was, he was a very uh, special player. Very, very special player. And really, when you think about the talent level, yeah, like, of course. I'm not here to, way. you know, yeah. I mean, he was a very talented player, but what made him extraordinary, I don't think was his talent, but it no, was his, no. his level of, of leadership by example, his level of preparation, yeah. being a good teammate, all those little things. You have to be ready for anything that can happen and what you're going to do. Even the dive in the stands, he had experienced a dive in the stands prior to that. And he yeah. knew what potentially could happen, but he, he was willing to risk it. So it's just so many learning lessons from all these guys um, that, you know, I go on and on. I could go, probably go on for hours, but I've been really blessed that you, you're blessed. You should get to meet these guys, but the real blessing is what you can learn from them. And I yeah. think that the world is a classroom. Everybody's a teacher. So you got to kind of take that approach with everybody, especially when you run into someone extraordinary, yeah. because those are the people that went past success. They went past pretty good. And that's the stuff you want to grab and learn and incorporate into your own style. When you're dealing <laughs> with the memorabilia business and when, when eBay came flying out and, and memorabilia kind of took over eBay for a, a quite a few years, um, when something like this comes to light, there's always a, there's always a negative side to everything when it comes to the forgeries and all that stuff like that. How did that negatively impact the industry? Well, I mean, it, the truth, though, is, you know, the, the truth will set you free, but it'll piss you off first. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of bad fake stuff. It helped me because I was doing everything right. Yeah. And had an incredible, I was able to build an incredible vote of uh, trust with fans and customers. People know that anything I got involved with, with collectibles was real and they could trust it. So now when I start my new company, like collectible exchanges, it's, People trust it. They know anything Brandon's touching is real. He knows what he's doing. Because yeah. it isn't a two-lane highway trust. You know what I mean? Trust isn't a two-lane highway. It's a one-way highway. You're either on the right way or you're done. Yeah. You know, if you, you're, there's a lot of things that are two ways, not trust. And when you get the collectibles, it's it, there is no gray area. Yeah. So for me, you know, it was, it was a great opportunity for me to shine of the right way to do things. And that's why we really exploded is because we had a very creative way of doing things and only the right way was the only way. So it's the same thing here now. Like we don't, there is no gray area and we're very, very, very tough on the people that put stuff. We have 150,000 things on the site. We're climbing up. We'll have 250 by the end of the year. We're climbing going after eBay because we don't think they do a good job because they don't focus in on right and wrong. We're constantly zoning in on the site, removing things, making sure the site is clean. So when people buy things, they're comfortable and they know they're buying real stuff. So I think they are overall, the industry's cleaned itself up a lot because a lot of players, the real autographs have been documented. There is yeah. ways to get things authenticated. Yeah. And the business is much healthier, which I feel good about than when I found it. I think you go into any industry, the only goal you should have is to fix what's broken and to take what exists and make it better. And you want to have the industry or the business that you go into be better off because you were in it. Yeah, and that, that was my yeah. always my goal growing up. I, like, I want to go into an industry, make it better. And I want it to be better because I was in it. 
and make a difference in the industry. That's all I, I really wanted from a business standpoint. I feel like I've in, in some sense accomplished that, you know, like that's a, you know, fans and them enjoying stuff is a really big deal to me and bringing joy and bringing them close to the game is a big deal. Every time that I would get a letter from a fan that got something that really made a difference. Um, that's a big deal to me yeah. more than the money, more than anything. So, um, and I continue to want, like doing it, you know, otherwise I would just retire. You know, I still like doing it. I still love when I get a note from, you know, 11 year old that just got something from his favorite player. Are we able to do something differently, yeah. which I've done, you know, TV shows and I've done hookups and, you know, connected, you know, all kinds of different people with meeting their idols and everything. I was like, I love that stuff. And those, that's all stuff that I've created and maybe in some case the first to do it. Of all the athletes um, that you've worked with over the years, who are the one or two or three that you've built really, really like lifetime relationships with? I mean, I think, you know, starting with Mark Messier. I mean, you know, Mark is. He just came out with his, he just came out with his yeah. book. Which, you know, for years, he's like, he's never doing that. And then he's on ESPN now, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, Mark's the real deal. He's taught me so much about family, about loyalty, and and also keeping a tribe small. Like, you know. Yeah. yeah. He's not confusing. Like, Mark is a big deal. He's a big name. He never wanted to have all kinds of hanger-oners, all kinds of people. Family. And it was a very distinct group of uh, friends. And he was sticking with that. And, and I love that loyalty. And yeah. it showed you, it showed me at an early age what was important, which is your family and your friends, your real that. friends. Yeah. Um, so th- th- he was a tremendous influence, loved him. And I have so many athletes that I've been able to maintain relationships over the years with that I'm extremely grateful. I uh, still work with Mariano this day, helping raise money for his foundation and doing his autographs and stuff like that. And um, I don't know something about him that we just hooked up and we just do, end up doing a lot of stuff together. And, um, we have this love, hate, you know, nobody <laughs> gives me more crap than, than, than Mariano. I, and, and I try to reciprocate as often as I can <laughs> because, you know, he's the unanimous hall of famer, the greatest of all time. And yeah, that's crazy. I try yeah. to remind him that, you know, that's just part of the story. You're not, per- and he, <laughs> we always laugh at each other going, you know, we're not perfect. We know that. And, uh, so he's been a tremendous influence. Um, I love Aaron Boone, the current Yankee manager. Love him. I actually, um, I, just, I, actually I had uh, on my show uh, uh, Brett Boom, his brother, which he's trying to get. He's trying to he's trying to get become a manager. He has his own podcast now, and he's trying to had him on. And we we built a little relationship, and he's yeah, trying to, he's trying to get. He wants to get become a manager in, in the major leagues. He's that's his that's his goal. He wants to follow his brother's footsteps. So, but yeah, incredible, incredible family, family like Lingerer oh, yeah. man, incredible, absolutely special yeah very very special so how about jeter do you keep the still a good relation with jeter i mean he's an owner you know we don't have as much of a business relationship love love jeter great guy and wish him all the luck with the marlins but he's a little bit out of my you know out of my comfort zone from a business standpoint yeah 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 so what's your involvement with steiner sports now are you still heavily involved in it not at all you know, um, so you know, you, did you, did you, are you, are you, so you're not involved at all now? You're totally out of that. Yeah. I'm out of Steiner sports. I mean, there was a little bit of a hostile takeover there with fanatics, which I really don't want to get into a whole thing about it, but it wasn't a, a happy ending, but it was a great company. It was a company that obviously Michael wanted and, um, he got it. And, uh, you know, I, at the time I definitely wanted a change and I was in the process of buying the company back and he ended up getting it. But I'm also very grateful that I love building stuff. So to have something at the beginning 
and to build something that I don't know if I could have built what I'm building. Like what I built the last two years was something I wanted to do at Steiner and I just couldn't do it because we were doing things differently. You know, I wanted a more of a marketplace. I wanted to have partnership for the players. Yeah. So like I'm partners with all my players. Like I started a thing called the collective. I have about 25 women that I built out microsites for. I've started the first marketplace for women collectibles. No, never been done at Steiner. That just didn't have a big upside. To be honest with you, I don't know if the freaking thing's even going to work. I love the women athletes. I think they're special. They're worth investing in. I yeah. think they're worth the investment. I think that they're the real deal. I think that people underestimate women athletes, and I don't. Yeah. So to me, and I'm just saying, like, at Steiner, I couldn't have done that. Like, it wouldn't have been a big enough return. I would have done the spreadsheets. What's the return? I, I'll figure out the return. So I'm going to figure it out, guy. And do, I don't want to do, do you have any? Do you have any regrets? <laughs> I shouldn't say regrets, but do you have any uh, any collisions or times you sit back and you were like, I wish Steiner Sports would have been never have grown the way it's grown more. It was more grassroots the way it started because it grew into this massive company. And obviously, obviously at the end, there was, yeah, it didn't I mean, go the way, the way you, you went and, and your name's, your name's attached to it. Right. Which is, <laughs> you never, you never, like, I regret losing my name. You know, it's my name and yeah. I, I put a lot, but on the other hand, people know Brandon Steiner and they know that Brandon Steiner supersedes Steiner. Yeah. And there is no real Steiner in my mind without Brandon Steiner. If you want no, to without truth. question. Yeah. So it wasn't like there was this big company and we're not sure who the hell was behind it and who else yeah. pulled all that together. Yeah. People know that's Brandon Steiner and now Brandon Steiner's here. But yeah, you know, you have regrets. I, I think more of my regrets are more focused on relationships, employees that, you know, I should have fired a lot sooner than I did, employees that I should have kept and not let go uh, and, and dealt with differently and better. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever you sell a company, I sold my company in 2000, which is what enabled you know, the, the end. But, you know, like you lose control of your company. Like, you know, I, do you regret that? Yeah, to some degree, because as you acquire talent and, and have really cool people working for you, you know, they want ownership. They want more skin in the game and you don't have the skin to give them. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about that. So, you know, I think about that now with my new company is more of an employee stock. And I think about having them more that. involved in ownership yeah. than I am about, you know, going to, and I never really thought about selling this big, this thing and making a gazillion dollars. Yeah. To be honest with you, I, I never thought about the money. You know, I don't think about the money now. Like I just think about building something great, but if you're worrying about the money, you, you probably should just check out and find something else to do. I, 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 it's easy to say that now because I have a lot of money. But that's not the way I roll anyway, even when I didn't have yeah. the money. You know what I mean? That's so, not the way you roll. But no. But what's interesting is that I love building stuff and, and I realize the value of building it with my with my people uh in the longer term. Uh at the time <laughs> when I when that things started getting so big, I really needed the partner and I needed the financing because it was starting to really rock and roll and yeah. I was either going to be partners with a bank or a private equity, or I found this other partner. So that's how, that's how it went. Yeah. 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 Decisions, moments of time, man. You know, they're just moments of time. You know, when you decide you're going to get married, have a kid, sell your business. How many kids do you have? You said three. We have uh, two kids and we, we adopted a kid that was in high school that we took in. So amazing. What is, what does fatherhood mean to you? Change topics. It's everything. I mean, um, you know, I think that a lot of times, and, and this is a big thing that when you talk about having sold the company, it's like, 
you know, I wanted to be a really successful business person. I'm not going to lie. And I wanted to make a lot of money too. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I yeah. always had a goal that I wanted to really do well. And I didn't know what that exactly meant, but I also had a goal that I wanted to be a good dad and a good husband. And I think I also want to be a guy that was relatively healthy. I didn't want to grow older and, you know, be in a wheelchair or going to doctor's office every week. And I think sometimes people only get into this one lane highway of success. They think because you've made a lot, a lot of money that makes you successful. But if your kids hate you yeah. and you end up being divorced and, and, and you end up not healthy, how successful are you? Yeah. And that's a big thing I wrote in my last book, you know, Living on Purpose. Like if you want to get the whole Steiner story, you know, you go pick, go to my website. Um, they're free. Just pay for the shipping. You got to have balls. It's a great book. And uh, if you really want to understand what the importance of not only being successful, but what you need to do with success and what you're going to do after successful, which is the book I wrote right after I became financially successful, get the book Living on Purpose. I, I mean, I've written three books. I, I love all three of them, but you can go to my site, pick any one of them, get it for free. And I highly recommend it. I, I, the book I've gotten, and I'm, I'm half illiterate. I can't read and write. And I've written three books and over 2,000 blogs on brandonsteiner.com. So go figure. That's the shit that I love. I love when yeah. people keep telling me, you, know, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, you gotta limit yourself. Like, why? It, it lights, it lights the fire, right? Yeah, I love absolutely. that. So, how long have you been married now for? Thirty-three. Congratulations! I'm going Pain on to the ass, going, you know? going on to nineteen. My parents, my 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 father just recently passed, and uh, my parents were married mm -hmm. for fifty-one years. And uh, yeah, it's it's nowadays that's it's special. It's special being able to have that commitment, right? I saw my wife, I met her when I was 17. I looked in her eyes and I said, you know, this is the woman that I want to spend the rest of my life arguing with. I mean, there's no question. <laughs> um, but the, I think the key thing is, you know, I married, you know, you come to realize that, that's, that's going to be our punchline for the show. You realize that. <laughs> you know, but you know, when you, you look at my wife, you know, it's always, it's always daunting because, you know, I married a beautiful woman, but also a woman a lot smarter than me. Which is and, key. And which is key. It's it's well in general women are smarter than men in general so it's not hard to find a woman smarter than you but <laughs> I found a woman who was a lot smarter than me and it's very problematic when you make a hundred decisions and ninety seven of them she's right you know every now and then I get a crumb you know every now and then like one out of like every thirty maybe I could possibly be right maybe so yeah. uh, but I think it is important to marry uh, over your head and marry. And realize that, and also fast, you realize that women are a lot smarter than you in general, and that your wife is generally going to be smarter than you. The faster you can keep that marriage going. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, as an entrepreneur, I, I, and I, I already know the answer, but retirement is not a question, is it? You're going to keep building, keep growing all the way through. Is like, I mean, there's different variations of retirement. I, obviously, I, I, I'm getting older and I think about. Uh, varying the way I go about my work and my job. I love working. It's all I really know, but I'm definitely looking into other things. And I think as an entrepreneur, you get so out of your head and into other people's heads and everything. It's very consuming, but I think it's important. And I'm really working on this. I'm not good at it, but, you know, hobbies. You know, I'm yeah, taking yeah. up golf. I've only taken up golf. Um, I was taking up guitar. It didn't work out for me, but I was trying. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely looking at doing some other things. How many, um, how many times a week do you play basketball? I play basketball twice a week. I have a court in my house, so I, I can control the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I play twice a week, and then I have a basketball trainer that I let use my gym. 
to you know work me out because you know at my age you have to perpetually keep working at it otherwise the good lord will take that game away from you it's not a young person it's not an older person's game but i love playing it i live to play it so but i also know there'll be a day i won't be able to play it so good for, good for you though that's awesome <clears throat> i I have, I have one more question for i mean last night when i got off the court yeah. 20 of my closest friends so, well, so you have a full you have so is, is yeah. a, are you in a league no, I have my own it's for fun. court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you're, the, so everybody comes but, over and plays. Oh, no doubt. I love and it. And I was on love fire it. last night. I mean, I just played <laughs> so well. And, and I, I always walk off the court. I go, thank you, God, for allowing that to just happen. <laughs> you know, thank you. God was lighting it up. And, you know, because at my age, like, I can get on the court and really be bad, too. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes the body just is, like, not interested. It doesn't, you know, when you get older, like, how, the body how, how, is, Do you want me to ask you how old are you? I'm 62. 62. You're still young. So, you know, there are young. days you get on the court and you're like, I, I probably got to get off this court at some point because it's not working very well. <laughs> and then there are times I get on, I feel like I'm 25, you know, so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I have a question for you. And I ask everybody at the end of our podcast, if something were to happen to you today in a few words, how would you want to be remembered or described by your loved ones? I just would like to be remembered as somebody who was extremely relentless and, and worked hard for, um, he worked hard, tried to make a difference. He was a good dad and was generous. You know, I, I, I really try to think, it matters to me how people think. And I try to be a generous person. I try to help people as often, as much as I can. Yeah. And I hope that at my, I, the only thing I would tell my kids, if one of them should be, should read, you know, a little bit about Brandon Stein at my funeral and say, listen, as, as my dad had it all an impact on your life, anybody that showed up, did you have an impact? Did he make a little bit of a difference? Was he able to give you some guidance, help you in some way? And hopefully I've helped some people in some way. You know, one of the things that that question hits a nerve on is that my father's funeral at 11, you know, we didn't have enough people to have a, a minion in Jewish. You, know, you need 10 people to have, have the funeral. We didn't have 10 people at my dad's funeral. And it was very heartbreaking, you know, that we only had, it was, it was me, my two brothers, my mom, the rabbi my father's sister and one other person we were short and i was like damn i don't know what the hell i'm going to do with this life i said this at 11 but i'm going to make sure that we're not struggling to find 10 people for my funeral i've got to have made a bigger difference than more people who want to come and just say goodbye then my dad only had you know seven people which it was very discouraging and I, I it's on my mind to not let something like that happen it's powerful that's very very powerful I love it. I love it. This has been an incredible conversation. I want to thank you for taking time out of your, obviously your busy schedule and uh, somehow we made it work and, uh, yes. little, and, and, and I, I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do. Um, like I said, I was, uh, I've interviewed really high level celebrities on this show and, and I was actually looking forward to talking to you probably more than anybody I've had in a while. So uh, thank you for this. Anytime you're in Toronto, um, I would love to uh, take you out for dinner and, and hang out for a bit and uh yeah, i appreciate it. anything you want to leave with your audience cool. before we go no thank you love toronto by the way one of my favorite cities when i get the visit so maybe i'll take you up on that and go to the website you know go to collectibleexchange.com and get the free copy of the book and if you have anything you want to sell it's easy to put the stuff up or you know if you're looking for some really unusual items and hopefully for all you collectors out there thank you for the support i'm going to put all in our show notes and all our links uh to the website to the books, to everything, and to social media. And uh, once again, thank you so much, brother.
You're welcome. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap for today. I want to thank our guest, Brendan, for taking time. It was an incredibly busy schedule to be a guest on the Jeff Nozine podcast. Great conversation. I was kind of a little uh, fanboy today and uh, really, really enjoyed this conversation. If you guys enjoyed as much as I have, like all weeks, spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Leave a review. Myself and my staff love spending time reading all the reviews. Until next week, guys, keep moving forward.